Hey, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 2 Samuel. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study. All of the triune Godhead are working together to reach you, to reach me, to reach the world in which we live. God will go to any length to reveal his love for you, to you. God wants to reveal that. This is what David, is, as, as a type of the father, is trying to reach out, go to any length to pursue, trying to find, to honor that relationship that he has. And that's what God is doing in the Son through the Spirit, trying to honor that relationship, that access that's now available to them. But Mephibosheth is freaked out. He's freaked out because normally the pattern is, is my gosh, if I get around God, I'm going to be struck dead. That would be what I would think. That's what we would think oftentimes, right? We're shamed to be in the presence of a perfect God. You know, we're, we're, we're just marred and we, can't, we don't feel like we could be in the presence of, of God. And so we would oftentimes flee that. That's often what's happening. People are fleeing and, and avoiding that. How many times I can tell you that people get to a point where they're about to have a real serious breakthrough in their walk with God or in get to a point of a real breakthrough where they might even come to God and yet there, there's a, a tendency to flee. And I think this is oftentimes the, the case. And so what, what, what really causes him, other than culturally, we know that that's one part of this, uh, but there's some other things that, that kind of make this what it is and, and why it happens this way. Uh, if you turn just a couple pages back in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, this is uh, what happened with Mephibosheth. This is how, how he ended up lame in his feet. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. So it started with the fall. And isn't that just what happened to us? That's what made him lame. And fear was driving him away. And it's just like we're born into a sin nature, and we are for sure, we're lame. There's no doubt about it. We're, we're marred. We're damaged in that sense. We can't present a perfect thing to God because we can't make ourselves perfect. And it's amazing to me how the gospel message is being told in a word picture like this for us in, in just a situation like this. So, in this first verse, now David said, is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul? Why is he pursuing? Well, he's not pursuing to destroy. Why did God pursue other people? Some people say, well, I don't understand why this is happening to me or what's going on. Well, God's pursuing you because he loves you. And circumstances are such that he's allowing things to happen to get your attention, you know, to get you to look to him, to cry out to him. He does that still with us as his kids. He allows circumstances and situations to come in our lives that we might look to him and to trust him. He's in this kind of a spot. 
he's concerned. Why is it? Is there still anyone left in the house of Saul? Man, what would be the reason? What does he want to do? And he says, he clarifies it, that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake. And that's because of that commitment that he had. He finds the guy, you know, is ready to send this servant out, Ziba. He's wanting to display this kindness. And Ziba says, yeah, there, there is somebody. But this guy's, his condition is such, he, he's lame. He, he's not really able to get around on his own or anything. But I know where he is. I can find him. It's interesting in verse 4, low to bar means nothingness. That's what the, the, that, the name of that is, just nothingness. But isn't that where you end up when you're laming out on sit stuff? You end up in just a nothingness mode. It's so true. Then we kind of pick this next thought back up. So David is in pursuit of him, but he's in pursuit of him for right reasons. He wants to reach him. He wants to connect with him. But why does he want to connect with him as this starts to unfold? And he reveals this plan and this purpose that he has in trying to make contact with this last one of the offspring there and somebody that he can show this kindness to. The king David sent and brought him out of the house of Micah, the son of Emiel, from Lodabar. So he brings him out. Isn't that what God wants to do with you and I? Take us out of that place of nothingness. The world has nothing to offer us. The world has nothing to offer humanity in that sense. And yet, so quickly, we can turn to the things of this world for satisfaction, for pleasure, for fulfillment. And yet, it, is, it won't do that. It still ends up in nothingness. I remember so many times when I was in the world ending up feeling that way, just at this end result of nothingness. It will always be nothingness. The day you walked away from the world and came to Jesus Christ, the day you turned away from some of those sinful patterns that you had and the way you lived, the day you walked away, it has continued on the same and continually getting worse as when you walked away from it. You haven't missed a thing. It's the same trash, the same despair, the same crying yourself to sleep because there's absolutely nothing that is fulfilling about your life. It's from event to event, situation to situation, trying to gain some kind of satisfaction and pleasure. And it's emptiness and nothingness, and it will not change. It will not change for your young people today. It will not change for the older people tomorrow. It will not change. It is that way. It is emptiness. And we have to remember it's nothingness, it's nothingness. We still sometimes think, as we've been believers a while, walking the journey for a while, we start to think, well, maybe we did miss something. No, you didn't. You didn't miss a thing. I didn't miss a thing. The world is still going on in a deception. It's smoke and mirrors. It's, yeah, this is going to be good. This is fun. This is enticing for a while, but then it just kind of vanishes just as you're about to grab a hold of it, you know? And it just kind of melts away. It's nothingness. You're missing nothingness, <laughs> you know? What a great thing. If you're going to miss something, nothingness is a good thing to miss. But notice how David is in pursuit of him, not to eradicate him, but to bring him out of nothingness, 
That's so awesome. That's what God wants to do. God wants to bring people out of nothingness. Don't be deceived when people start trying to get you and I to think that everything's all lined in and it's going well in the world. It may be for a season. It's not going to last. We know we walk in and out of that. We know how that goes. So, when Mephibosheth, interesting name, living shame, literally, living shame. So, living shame, which is, to me, I just identify with all this stuff. That's who I was apart from the Lord. Just living shame and actually living in nothingness land, you know? You've tried to flee because you don't want to get caught up, you know, in, in something or get exposed any further than where you are. So you flee. And even in the fleeing, you become even more lame. The fall brought something upon all of us. And it was all through deception. And now that fall made everybody, all of humanity, lame in that sense. But he brought him up out of this place of nothingness. He knows who he is. He knows that he, he knows his own. He can't even get himself around, you guys. Think about this. He's kind of on the run, and he can't even get himself around. That's who, who Mephibosheth is. And he's brought now into the very presence of David. And he, he knows. Now, now he's in front of the king, and he knows culturally what happens around him. And he just, I'm just going to be struck dead. This is what people facing coming to church, we just forget. They think that way about coming to a gathering of believers. How can I come into that gathering? I'm not righteous. I'm not right. I, people, you don't need to really point out and tell people they're sinners. People know they're living in darkness. Maybe not perfectly the way you and I would understand, but they know there's things they're trying to grasp after for satisfaction. We pray for openings to talk about those things, but we don't have to point it out too clear. But as soon as he gets in the presence of the king, he falls on his face. He just drops. He just knows that, man, I, you have every right to strike me dead, basically, right? That's the thought process. You have every right just to eliminate me. And then I love this. David said, he calls him by name, Mephibosheth. Man, do you remember the Lord speaking to your heart when you, he was reaching out to you and grabbing a hold of your life and there was a personal identification that you knew that God knew you? The king knows you, who you are, knows you by name. Think about this. Jesus was unrecognizable in the garden after the resurrection. Mary's there, thinks he's the gardener, and interacts with him until he calls her Mary. All of a sudden, she knew who it was. There's something about, you know, voice and, and word, inflection, you know, just everything that it was, think about it. You have friends or family or think people that call and you pick up. It's just usually one word. You know exactly who it is. This is the kind of identification that was there. David, the king, was saying, Mephibosheth. You know, he's just calling him personally by name. 
identifying him. The king says to him, verse 7, do not fear. So isn't that the way the Lord has come? Oftentimes, fear not. Fear not. Remember, fear not. Over and over again through the scriptures, fear not. He would walk in at post-resurrection. You know, He'd walk into a building, into a situation, and they'd be free. Fear not. There was a, a sense of peace dispelling the fear of what might happen with his presence being there. The misunderstanding, of the, mis- the incorrect view of God is that the Father as the king and ruler is sitting in eternity with a mallet watching every move you make and just ready to swing and crush you because you're blowing it. That was wrong. Bam! That was wrong, but bam! You know, every time, and, and that that's sometimes the concept that we can even get, that certainly people get in their minds, that God is waiting just to, for you to just one little step, bam! You know, that's not how God, that's not how he functions. This is the heart of God being displayed for us in a word picture. He sought out a relationship with Mephibosheth from a place of nothingness, a lame guy who, because of the fall that took place while he's trying to flee for his own life, thinking he could save his own life. Those who would seek to save their own life, think about what happened. Those seeking to save their own life will lose it. Jesus said that. You seek to save your life, you'll lose it. You seek to, you know, lose your life for Christ's sake, you gain your whole. Because it's based on that relationship with the Lord. He says, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. So he reveals this, this, this plan. He reveals himself and this purpose and plan that he has. He certainly shows grace and mercy to, to Mephibosheth in this situation. Unmerited love and favor. Not giving him what he deserves, but giving him love and, and favor toward him. This plan that David is revealing to him is a plan of restoration. The Bible says that God will restore to you and I the years that the canker worm ate away. Satan came to rob, kill, and to destroy. And God wants to give and restore back to you and back to me. God wants to bless our lives. This is the significance of this as we kind of get toward a a concluding thought in this is where does David now ultimately place Mephibosheth? This guy's lame. He can't get around even on his own. You know, I I love what's portrayed for us. He can't even get around on his own. And David's going to place him somewhere where he has a, a, a place of standing somehow, some way. And it's going to be, as we read on now, as he places him, Beginning in uh, verse 9, after the king has shown him all this mercy, the king pursued him. The king revealed then this, this plan and purpose and, and the res- restoration of the, the things that were part of his families that were his to be had. He places him at his table. He ends up putting him right there at the, at the king's table. And he tells the the. Ziba, the servant, hey, look at, take care of all these things for um, Mephibosheth, but as far as 
you know, you guys can have all the good, you can eat, and everything's cool, but as far as him, he's going to be sitting at my table with me. I kind of look at this like the idea of all that God wants to do for you and for me and all that we have. It's kind of the thought of you have this, this inheritance. You get this letter from, from a relative or you get this letter from an attorney's office and you, just don't, you don't even want to open it, you know? You just don't even want to open it because it just might just really be bad news. You just don't want to deal with it. It just sits over there on the thing. You don't want to deal with it. Now, in the meantime, you're really struggling. You've lost your job. Now, all of a sudden, the house is in foreclosure. Your bank account's dried up. You're really struggling. And you got this letter sitting over there. And you're starting to clean things up. And eventually, you think, well, gosh, you know, I, I got nothing else to lose. I might as well at least open this, this letter. You open up the letter, and it's from that distant relative. And the inheritance is yours. All you had to do was sign this thing and mail it back in a pre-stamped envelope. And it's all yours. All those things are yours. You don't have to lose the house. You don't have to, you know, go hungry. All that's been taken care of. And all you had to do was open the envelope, read it, and <laughs> send it back. Acknowledge that, yeah, you're, yes, you, you received that. That's kind of what happens sometimes when we give our lives to the Lord. We give our lives to the Lord, but we don't take the time to find out from his word what it is that's ours in him. We don't take the time to really realize, to open the letter that's been sent to us, saying what's ours in him. Look at the, what was, he's been on the run avoiding David, the king. He's trying to stay away from, for fear of what might happen to him. He knows he's lame. He's of no really earthly use in a sense. You see what I'm saying? In their culture, in a, in a uh, you know, agricultural working culture like that, where, where did that guy fit into the picture? You know? And he knows that. And yet, the king pursued out after him and wanted this relationship with him. But it had to be revealed what was the purpose of why he wanted to connect. He's fearful. He kind of gets brought in. Do you remember when the Holy Spirit's dragging it? I remember in my mind all the things I was concerned about. Well, what's going to happen if I give my life to the Lord because I know things are going to change in my life and I'm not going to be doing some of these same things I used to be doing. I actually know what happens. I become a different person. Because I, I knew what happens. I, I know what happens when you give your life to the Lord. I'm going to be a different person. How's this going to work? My wife doesn't know the Lord, I'm thinking, at that time. My wife doesn't know God. What's going to happen to us? And then I'm thinking, yeah, but I'm so messed up that everything's going so bad anyway. What's going to happen? So I'm in this, I'm in this quantity. I'm fearful. I know that I haven't had anything to do with my mom for almost 10 years. I haven't had any conversation really or anything to do with my mom because there was a nasty divorce in our family and it was just a big mess and I hadn't everything. And I was thinking in my mind at that time, man, how is this going to go? Because I know if I'm a different person, maybe that's going to change. Now what's going to happen then with my dad and me and my stepmom and all that stuff? I've got a little boy that doesn't even know his grandma. 
You know, what, what is going to happen to my life if I give my life? I was fearful of all kinds of weird things in my mind. And yet, God wanted to restore. I remember four years ago when my mom went to be with the Lord, and I remember so distinctly, I was telling, talking to the Lord, and I've shared this with you, but it makes a full circle thought in this. I remember thinking and, and talking with the Lord about it, and saying, Lord, you know, I wasn't ready to let this go yet. Well, I just wasn't ready to say goodbye. And God knows our hearts, you know, anyway. And I was thinking, gosh, you know, I sure am grateful, though, uh, you know, because I had to say goodbye to my dad 10 years earlier. He, he went to be with the Lord. And during that time period, the Lord starts speaking to my heart and saying, Jim, but we're even, man. The 10 years you lost... I gave them back to you. My, my mom lived 10 years longer than my dad. And I got, those, I got that time back in the Lord. I'm even. I didn't lose anything. The Lord, we, God has a wild economy that we would never think about. I would only share that with you, brothers and sisters. I, I, you know, that's not a, you know, you can't build some weird doctrinal thought off of it. But you, you get what, that's just what the Lord spoke about. We're even. You got that time. And it's true, I did get that time back. The Lord has a wild way of restoring and doing things. God restored the relationship with my mom to where I had a, a healthy, worthwhile, good relationship with my mom. The Lord restored and gave my wife then everlasting life. She received Jesus and then restored everything that was going bad. God put all that back together. God has a way of doing those things in your life, in my life. But it's as we come to the king, even though we're in fear, we let him speak our name and we let him reveal to us what he has for us, who he is to us, what he wants to do for us and care for us. He wants to restore and how he wants to restore. And all those things are here for all of us to read and to know and to apply and to receive. But it's so often like that letter from the attorney's office that you just don't want to open because you're fearful of what might be inside. Is this another summons? Is this, are they just trying to get more? Are they going to come sooner to take my house? Whatever the fears might be, we got to open the letters and read and find out what is it that he has for us. Hi, this is Pastor Jim. You know, in, in the book of Acts, we learned a great little story. And I think about it sometimes when we wrap up a, a message like we did today and, and how there's just a, a response that kind of stirs in us when we hear God's word. You know, there was a, a guy that was a, a, a Philippian jailer. He was, a, a, you know, just a jail guard. And he realized that the people that he was interacting with uh, were worshiping God and uh, connected with God. And his response when he interacted with these guys, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And they said to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. You know, God's got a plan and a purpose not only for you, but for your family, for your household, for your friends. But it begins with you giving your life to Jesus and getting right with God. Maybe you've gone to church. Maybe you've gone to church your whole life but never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you did give your life to Jesus, but you're not walking with him. Either way, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard the gospel message, the good news, that God loves you and and has a purpose and plan for your life. Anyway, God loves you, and it's a simple prayer of faith, and it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. God will forgive you of your sin if you will confess your sin. He will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Let's pray that prayer right now. Jesus, I want to ask that you'd forgive me of all my sin, that you'd come into my heart and make my heart your home. I want to receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for everlasting life. And fill me with your Holy Spirit that my life might please you. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, we meet in Overland Park on Sunday mornings. The service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word, and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountains.